your Bibles with you and you want to turn there, you'll be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Luke in chapter 9. And we'll start reading at about verse 52 and we'll also take a few scriptures out of chapter 10. Um, one of the things, and it's not really anything new, I've said it many times uh, before this particular congregation that how important that attitude is and how important that it is that uh, we have the right attitude about a multitude of things. And here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus refers to it as the manner of spirit that you're of. And I think that is of paramount importance to the Christian that what spirit we're of when it comes to the world, what our attitude toward the world is, uh, will bleed out in our day-to-day actions. Uh, I believe it was uh, Chuck Swindoll that actually said it one time, that said, whatever you're filled with, uh, consider yourself like a bucket, and if you get jostled, that's what's going to slosh out. And if your attitude is one particular way, it will bear out in the way that you act. And we live in a world and a day and a time where that people are growing increasingly belligerent toward the Christian faith. We live in a day and time where that it is that to call yourself a Christian is to essentially have society uh, do their best to label you as a hate monger, as somebody that uh, doesn't approve of various things and stands against everything that they're for and therefore you're of no merit, but I can tell you that still yet, our attitude toward the world, the, the manner of spirit that we are of, should be that they are lost and they are dying and going to hell every single day. And if we don't do something to change that, it's not going to get any better. Because we are called to be God's emissaries, God's people out there, compelling them to come in before that it's too late. But it's real easy to fall into the wrong ideology. It's real easy to say, and and I've been guilty of this, of looking at a group of people uh, with a clenched fist in the face of Almighty God and look and say, well, you know, whenever the Lord comes back now, they'll find out. Rather than saying, I hope and I pray that somebody, maybe me or somebody else, can go to them and help them to see that their clenched fist is toward the very one who loves them more than they deserve. And here in Luke chapter 9, we'll start reading it about uh, verse 51. uh, Jesus begins to enter into Samaria and it says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and, he sent, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Now this is significant, and I didn't understand this the first several times that I read this Scripture until I uh, come into an understanding of how it was that uh, the Jews felt about the Samaritans. That Samaria lay between Galilee and Jerusalem to the point to where whenever you made a trip from Jerusalem to Galilee or vice versa, you went around Samaria. You went several miles out of your way. If you were an ardent Jew, you didn't go through Samaria. You didn't want anything to do with Samaria. And here we find Jesus actually going through Samaria on His way down to Jerusalem. And it says now, verse 53, And they did not receive Him because His face was as though He would go to Jerusalem. 
That, they, that, that there was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. And when it was, they seen, well, he's headed to Jerusalem. He's just taking a shortcut. He's not here to see us. We don't want anything to do with him. They didn't receive him. And I can tell you that as a Christian, you can go out to somebody. You can knock on their door. You can sit down in their living room and begin to tell them, look, I'm worried about the condition of your soul and where you're going to spend eternity and they'll look right at you and say, I don't want any of what you've got. Don't waste your time. Don't spend your effort here. I don't want to hear it. And it's real easy to get discouraged. And I can tell you it's real easy to kind of get mad. Whenever you think to yourself, well, you know, I come here bringing them a good thing to try to help them out. And they're rude. And they will be rude to you. I can tell you right now that if you've never had somebody kindly be rude to you because uh, you're a Christian, uh, you might hold it suspect uh, as to whether or not you're really being about the Lord's business. And it's okay to be persecuted for His name's sake. It keeps you right on schedule. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't think that if somebody doesn't like you, it could be your personality. But make sure if they're persecuting you, it's for the name of Jesus Christ because any other reason ain't worth it. And so Jesus comes into Samaria and they don't want anything to do with Him. And notice what it says now. Notice His disciples in verse 54. It says, And when His disciples... James and John saw this. Now let's stop right there for a second. Do you remember what it was that Jesus called James and John? He referred to them as the sons of thunder. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Now my understanding is that meant that they were pretty quick-tempered. That they were decisive. They were temperamental. They may have even broken out into a fight a time or two out on their boat with their father. I don't know. Uh, But for some reason, Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. And here they are. They see this, James and John, uh, and and they make an assessment of the situation. It says, uh, the remainder of verse 54 says, They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Now, if you're not familiar with the book of 2 Kings, you'll find it in the first chapter, around about verse 10. I have it noted in my margin here. I haven't recalled that from memory. Uh, that this happened, that fire was called down from heaven by Elijah upon men that had come to take him. And so James and John are saying, all right, you Samaritans. And I, I can't help but think, James and John were both Jews. I can't help but think they were still a little belligerent toward the Samaritans. They say, you know what? Let's just burn this place out and get all these old filthy Samaritans out of here and let the Jewish people move in. That maybe they felt like, hey, they don't deserve salvation. And they were right. But they forgot to look at themselves and realize, neither do I. And so they said, let us call that. You want us to call down fire from heaven upon these people and burn them to ash. Now they still got kind of an Old Testament mentality, but whenever those things happened, it wasn't the judgment of man that took place, but rather the judgment of Almighty God. God forbid that we would try to judge this world outside of the Word of God because we wouldn't make a righteous judgment. 
Many times I said this myself growing up as a child and I'd see uh, somebody with a little kid who was unruly. I even said it once or twice as an adult, but I was starting to get a little more uh, uh, keen on the idea. So I said, if that was my kid, oh, I'd bust her honey. And I would whip them until that they understood that they weren't supposed to act like that. Oh, I'd beat them and I'd get the further the faster and get wound up about it. Until I had kids of my own. And somebody even told me, a cousin of mine had told me when I told them, why don't you whip them? I offered an opinion on how they should discipline their child. And they said, when you have kids of your own, you won't be as keen on whipping them as what you think you'll be. And he was right. He was 100% right. I plated up a nice big plate of my own words that I would have to later eat. And I can tell you, we always have an opinion on what should happen to somebody that we don't care not one whit about. Somebody else's kid. We look and say, well, what they need is thus and such. What they need, number one, do you know what every kid needs? First step out of the womb is they need love. And they need it continually throughout their life. And any time that a child is disciplined, it should be out of love, shouldn't it? That you would train them up in the way you'd have them to go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. But the wrong attitude is is that you beat them into submission. The wrong attitude is is they'll find out when the Lord comes back. The wrong attitude is is I can't wait for them to split hell wide open. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He said it very plainly in the Gospel according to John that He came not to condemn the world, but that by Him and through Him the world might be saved. And then He placed that upon anyone that would believe upon His name that we would lead them to Him. And have you ever thought about that? Brother Sam used an illustration I really liked uh, about uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Whenever it was, he sat down with the supreme headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force. And he had all the men around the table there. Uh, and he began to talk to them about leading. He, he told them to move a string by pushing it. And the string would just ball up and roll all over the place and wouldn't go anywhere. And then he said, now pull it along. And as they did, it just went exactly where that it was supposed to go. And I can tell you that as Christians, we're not to push people toward Christ. We're not to drag them in, beat them into submission. The Word of God is described as a two-edged sword, not as a club. And what we're supposed to do is to use it to lead them in. Show them the way. Show them to the way. The truth and the life, which is Jesus Christ. James and John. Now don't, don't get too down on James and John. You see, they were young. They were new at this. They were like children. Children often get the wrong idea about things. But Jesus answered them here in verse 55. He says, but He turned and He rebuked them. And a rebuke, now remember this, a rebuke is not where that you just cuff somebody in the back of the head or anything like that, but rather in the College of Education, they refer to it as a teachable moment. And so Jesus told them, no, no, 
That's not right. It says, and he rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Be careful what manner of spirit you're of. That if you look through the eye of a cynic and you say, well, all people are rotten to the core and they don't deserve anything good and that's your attitude toward them, you're not going to be much of a soul winner. I'm not saying run around looking through rose-colored glasses or anything like that to see things as they are, that they are sinners in need of a Savior and anything short of that, you've got the wrong idea. And it's real easy to fall into that attitude. It is real easy to get rejected so many times. You say, you know what? I don't care what happens to them. Just me and my four and no more. That hey, I, you know, I've got my stuff taken care of. I don't know why I have to be concerned with everybody else. And when I say that, I preach more readily toward me than anybody else here because I know how I am. Anytime I see somebody broke down the side of the road, I think, well, man, that really stinks. And don't even hardly let off of the accelerator. Now, my wife, on the other hand, when she's sitting with me, she'll say, honey, let's stop and help them. Now, I want you to... And, and the Lord dealt with me on this and continues to deal with me because Crystal has stopped and helped a lot more people than what I have. I have a certificate hanging on the wall at my home that states that I am qualified to work on automobiles. Keep tools in my truck to be able to work on my own automobile. But when I go by somebody and see them broken down, I'm like, I'm going to stop them. I don't have time for that. Well, why not? I'm more qualified than the average individual to go by. Now, I like to tell people that I'm a certified auto mechanic and blah, 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 to stick a feather in my hat. But then whenever it matters and whenever the opportunity arises, because as I'm cranking that wrench, I can look over at them and say, hey, do you know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior? It's a moment in which that I could minister to them. But I have to be careful of what manner of spirit I'm of. And everybody does. Jesus didn't say this lightly because notice what He says next. Verse 56, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives. Now that's very plainly stated. And if Jesus said He's not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, then guess what your mandate is? It's not to condemn or destroy or berate or beat, but rather to lead them to a Savior. And it's real easy to fall into the wrong manner of spirit. And there are consequences to people's rejection of Christ. Don't make a mistake. Don't think for a second that, well, hey, you know, I, I, I'm supposed to go out in a, in a militant manner and do battle with everybody that I can, strike up every argument that I can and argue people into the kingdom of heaven. That is not the right manner of spirit. That ye are of. And notice the last part of verse 56, what it says. It says, and they went to another village. They left. That's fine. We don't want trouble. We don't want to uh, uh, cause any problems. We're not going to call down any fire or anything. Let's go. We'll move on. And notice in the accompanying chapter here, skip to chapter 10 there. Shouldn't be too awfully far for you to go. And we'll start reading at verse 2. Notice how Jesus says He's going to send them out now. And this is the point at which that He's picked out 70 to send out. And He refers to it as a harvest. 
Verse 2 says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Notice verse 3. It says, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. I'm no shepherd. I don't know a big lot about lambs or anything like that, but what I do understand is they have no offensive capability. They don't have much of a defense without a shepherd. And that Jesus is telling them, now I'm not sending you forth like a sheepdog among wolves, but rather as lambs among wolves. In another place, He told them to be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. I can tell you, Anybody that's ever gotten within gunshot of uh, social media, you'll find a lot of militant Christians out there uh, ready to duke it out with anybody who has uh, an opinion of something uh, uh, that is contrary to the Word of God. Uh, and the way that I look at that, and maybe, maybe I am wrong, but I'm very convinced that I'm not in this, is I look at them like a little kid that just doesn't understand. Have you ever encountered a little kid that they want what they want, they're all based on emotion and everything, and you try to get them to understand things in the right way, and they just don't want to do it. They won't see reason. Now, do you grab that little kid and put them in a headlock and scrub on their scalp and tell that they holler uncle and suddenly they see things your way? I can tell you that you could do that but as soon as you turn loose and as soon as the pain stops, they have no conviction about what you allegedly convinced them of. But rather, Jesus, He sends them out as lambs among wolves that they would be dependent on who? Themselves? No. The shepherd. Because notice what He says in the accompanying verses. He says, verse 4, Carry neither purse nor strip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. He says, you don't even have to worry about provisions. The shepherd will take care of that. There's a sermon right there in that, that the shepherd takes care of you. But I tell you, when you go out, that you need to depend on Christ more than you need to depend on anything else. And you may knock on that door. You may go in that house and you may introduce yourself. Or maybe it's somebody that you've known for years. And you may say, I am here to compel you to consider Christ as your personal Savior. I am here to tell you that without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. They may look at you and tell you to hit the door. They may look at you and say, get out. I want nothing to do with you or your Jesus Christ. Get out of my house, you weirdo. They may say those kinds of things. And what's your reaction do you vandalize their house, toilet paper their trees, shove a potato in the tailpipe of their car, key their car? Do you do all manner of vile things to them for rejecting you and your Savior? No. It was said plainly, Jesus didn't come to destroy men's lives. I'm pretty sure that you could go ahead and file every other thing you could do to a person under that and say Jesus didn't come to do those things to men. But He comes that they might be saved. And that's what they need more than anything else. There was a story I heard a while back about a man 
a group of men who were standing on a shoreline and uh, next to some water and one man falls in and begins to drown. He can't swim. And there's one man in the entire group that can swim. The rest can't. And they look at the man that can swim and they tell him, get out there and save him. It says the man looks at him and says, wait, wait. They say, no, you need to hurry. And the man's hollering help and he's beating at the water and he's going under and coming back up. And they're still looking at him saying, you need to get in there and save him. And he, he tells them, wait. And the man's cries get weaker and weaker and uh, his flailing and everything gets less and less to the point to where that he goes under and his ability to come back up is greatly diminished. And it says, finally, that man jumps in the water and gets him and pulls him out and rescues him from it. And the other men look at him and say, why did you let him go through everything he went through? Why did you wait so long? And he looked at him and he told him, he said, I am not a strong swimmer. He said, and I had to wait until that he was weak enough that I could save him. Because if I'd have gone out there while he was still strong, he would have drugged me down too. They understood then. And I tell you that today, sometimes uh, you've got to bide your time uh, with the Lord to go to the person. And a lot of people, now here's the absolute worst attitude that I've ever seen. Whenever somebody that's lost goes through something. They have a child that's sick and afflicted. They have the worst possible news come and roost at their home. And a person uh, uh, with a Bible tucked under their arm goes into their house and says, this has happened because you're a sinner and you're hell bound. Rather than looking at them and saying, I know it's bad. And I know that there's very little comfort to be had right now. But there is comfort that passes understanding. That comes only through Jesus Christ. In love. Paul encouraged and Peter and everybody else that wrote any epistle. They encouraged that everything that would be done be done in love. Now I can tell you whenever a wolf moves into a, a pack of lambs. There's not a thing done in love. I can tell you. That if you do things in love and you act in love. Now you may get rejected. You may get denied. But before the Father, you are as justified as justified can be. Because notice what Jesus advised them. And we'll skip down to about uh, verse 10. Well, let's read verse 9. I, I, I think this is important to it all. Notice what their reception, what they got in the reception. If they come into a city and they will receive, verse 9 says, And heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. This was the message that they were to preach. But the town that received them said to heal the sick. If they bring somebody that's sick to you, I give you power to heal them. In my name you can heal them. Now you think about what a wonderful thing that was for that particular town. But notice in verse 10 what he says. Now he makes provision for the fact that they will get rejected. So don't think that if you get rejected that you've done something wrong. The truth is you may have done something right. It says in verse 10, But into whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you not, go your ways into the streets of the same and say. Now he tells them, when they don't receive you, you go out into the street. You make a public show. Of this, and it says, verse 11, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. They didn't burn a house down, they didn't start a riot. 
says they just kind of went out there and dusted themselves off. says, we wipe that off as a testimony against you that even the very dust of your town, we wipe off. But notice the, the message. The message is the same. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. The, the message is the same for both cities. The reception is the only difference. I can tell you that our attitude it should be to get out there and to publish the Word. To provide it for those that need it. To have the right attitude for those that are lost. Because I can tell you that a lot of the methods that are being used by so-called Christians today, they aren't working. And the reason they're not working is because that their condemner is stuck on full power. And that's all that they want to do. Heard a man stand out in Buskirk Field down there at Marshall University and attempt to preach to some people that I can tell you they were as lost as lost could be. <clears throat> and all that he ever preached, all that he ever said, it was condemnation. I would have liked to have heard him say, Come unto me all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I would have liked for him to have read from John chapter 3, in which that Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world, but that by me the world might be saved. Amen. Or maybe these groups of scriptures that I just read about the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. We're not sent out there in the world. When we leave from the church house, we're not supposed to go out there to destroy people's lives or to kick them while they're down or to condemn all of their sins. They may be ignorant that even what they're doing is even sinful. I can tell you the ignorance is run amok in the United States of America nowadays. That people think they know a good deal about things that they don't even have a clue about. If you don't believe me, just get on social media. It is the microscope by which that you can see people's ignorance and people's fears and all of these things. And what we have in Washington, D.C., now I don't know how you feel or what your politics are, but I can tell you that either side, what they're doing is they're fear-mongering. They want to try to make everybody afraid, worried and wring their hands and everything because they know that if they can make everybody afraid, they'll be able to manipulate them. And I can tell you, we're not given the spirit of fear. We're not supposed to run around afraid. We're not supposed to be out lifting up manhole covers looking for the devil. What we're supposed to be doing is being about the Lord's business, knowing that we're lambs among wolves, but we have the shepherd upon whom we can rely, and therefore all that we need to do is what He has laid out for us to do. We should tell them the kingdom of heaven is nigh to you this day. And through Jesus Christ, they can be saved. I think often whenever I begin to witness to somebody about uh, a scene in the movie Forrest Gump in which uh, Gary Sinise's character, uh, Lieutenant Dan, he looks over at him. They're not in the military anymore, but he looks over at him and says, Gump, have you found Jesus? And Gump, being the simple-minded man that he is, he looks at him and says, I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for him. And yeah, it was really humorous at the time, but it has a very valid point. There's a lot of people that don't even know they're even supposed to be looking for Jesus. They don't even know that uh, they should even be concerned. They don't even know that they're in sin. And then, of course, there are the legalists out there. They've given their, 
endorsement to the Ten Commandments. They've given their endorsement to the Sermon on the Mount. They say that right there is sound doctrine. But I can tell you that there's a big difference between an ethical and a moral man. That an ethical man knows that it's wrong to cheat on his wife, but he'll do it anyway. A moral man won't do it. He knows that it's wrong, he won't do it. And you think about that, about the legalist. The legalist knows that it's wrong. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to do it. And that's the things that we encounter out there witnessing to people. People that are lost and don't even know that they're lost. People that are lost and think they're blissfully lost and they don't care. And there are those that are the legalists that think that just because they've glanced at a Bible once or twice and they watch the local televangelists and everything else that, hey, they're fine because they've given God their endorsement. Anything short of Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, though, does them no good. And our mandate is not to try to destroy, but rather to try to save. And you think about if you saw a person, and when I worked over at the lakes, they, they had these things uh, out on this campground at Dewey Lake, I remember. They, what it was, it was a sign there in a stand that had some old bleach jugs with a rope tied between two of them. had two sets of them. And I remember some people would ask me, what are those for? It said right on the sign what they were for. But, but there were campers there, didn't bother to read the sign. And I'd be there cleaning, you know, and changing the, the garbage bags out of their cans and stuff. And they'd say, hey, buddy, come here. Every time I was hoping, because I was usually there during breakfast time, and I was hungry, and they'd be cooking breakfast. I was hoping they'd say, hey, buddy, come here. I'll give you some bacon eggs or something. But they'd say, hey, buddy, come here. Yeah, what can I do for you? I said, well, still them bleach jugs. He said, I grabbed one. There wasn't even anything in it. And I said, no. The only thing that's in it is air. What, what's the deal with empty bleach jugs? And several times I thought, buddy, go read the sign. I said, it, that's how I learned what it was. I looked at the sign and said, hmm, okay, yeah. Makes good sense. Because on it it says, in case of someone drowning, throw these jugs to them. Because they'll float. And that's what I told them. I said, those are for saving somebody from drowning. Toss them out to them. You think about the effort that that requires versus swimming out there, grabbing them and dragging them back to shore. Are we called to swim out there and grab them and drag them back to shore? Maybe knock them over the head so they're a little more compliant? No. We're called to throw them what they need so that they may be saved. We're called to give them what they need in order to be saved. And I can tell you that you may have to wait until the dirt is splashing the water and they're about to go under before that they'll be receptive to it. Because nobody's interested in those things that's standing on dry ground, are they? But suddenly their interest would be piqued if that water was coming up over their head and they could feel death's icy grip begin to wrap around them. And I can tell you that if we don't spend our time in the right attitude and of the right mind and try to put on the mind of God to see lost souls saved, we're not going to do not one whit of good. And all we're ever going to do is be failed and rejected. But our mandate is not 
to be successful as far as keep count of how many souls we've seen saved or how many people we've baptized or helped baptize or anything like that, but it's a telling. And they may say, you know, hit the bricks. I don't want any of what you've got. That's fine. Nevertheless, the kingdom of heaven is nigh. Let's all stand and get a song.